to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Welcome to episode 91 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Curtis Bradford. Curtis has had roles formerly with New South Wales Rugby, Leicester Tigers, and the Welsh Rugby Union. He currently heads up Rugby Austria's Sevens program, and it's a pleasure to have him on the show. So welcome, Curtis. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, no worries. Knowing uh, that you're based in Austria, I lived there for six months, uh, so I couldn't help but get you on and, you know, reminisce it was another life ago for me when I lived in Kitzbühel but it's a, it's an amazing country yeah it's beautiful it really is I mean the rugby side of it uh has has a lot to develop and and grow but as a place to live it's really amazing and and beautiful so yeah. very lucky yeah I couldn't get enough of the the schnitzels and some of the some of the stuff that goes with living in a country like that it was pretty awesome yeah it's all it's all the kuchen for me it's uh going <laughs> to my girlfriend's parents and I get very uh, well fed there, that's for sure. <laughs> no, it's perfect. All right, on to your playing background. What, what's a bit of a story there with, and, you know, how did you start and how did you progress? Yeah, sure. So I, I guess firstly, I, I've got to say, I listen to this podcast quite a lot and I hear a lot of uh, coaches who were former players say how they were average rugby players despite <laughs> that they played professionally. I, I, I was definitely an average player and I think average <laughs> is probably being polite. Um, but I just loved playing. So I think I started as a nine-year-old in school and and then, yeah, it was just really lucky sort of through playing. Things kind of snowballed and then, you know, got to travel a little bit through playing and then that sort of fell into coaching and mm. Yeah, I've just been really lucky. I suppose the opportunities it's afforded me just from being a, a little kid running around in the garden trying to be Shane Williams, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, you couldn't, couldn't pick a better uh, role model there for sure. Yeah. And yeah. what about those first coaching experiences? What, what were they like and uh, what were some of the, the big learnings and uh, reflections there? Yeah, well, I st- so I started, I think the first time I coached was I was probably about 17 and I'd got injured um, that season and mm-hmm. uh, just sort of started helping out with the junior teams at, at my local club. Um, and yeah, I guess through that, I got an opportunity to go to the Orland Islands, which is a little island between Sweden and Finland. Right. And I went there as a player coach when I was about 20 years old. So this was my first time sort of coaching adults and coaching men and it was made easier through being a player as well, but we had some relative success and uh, yeah, I think my ego just kind of inflated a lot and I thought, yeah, this coaching, coaching stuff's pretty good. And, and then from there, I came back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries at all. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and then I came back and I worked for the Welsh Rugby Union for I think two years. And then I was working at my local club and I was also based in the school where I was a pupil. So after mm-hmm. sort of two years there, I kind of felt, uh, but I have one way of doing things, you know, one sort of style of play, one philosophy that I'd always been around and I wanted to try and uh, further my knowledge, I suppose. So then I went and mm-hmm. I took a, a short term uh, contract as a, as a coach 
primarily, but also played a bit in Kuala Lumpur for Kuala Lumpur Tigers, who were right. a partner club of Leicester Tigers. And then from there, moved in uh, to a community coach role, role with uh, New South Wales Rugby. And I was yeah. coaching up in Byron Bay as well. Oh, perfect. Um, yeah, it's not a bad spot. Yeah, and, <laughs> couldn't, uh, couldn't think of uh, much worse. Yeah, yeah. And then it was actually in Byron then I sort of had my, my last big injury, which kind of finished finished off what was my uh, my playing days, I suppose. And then I just focused fully on the coaching and, and yeah, wound up in Austria. But I think when I, just talking about all that, I think back to those early experiences and, yeah, some of the things I would have thought I was a pretty gun coach in the early days, but really look back now and, and cringe pretty hard at some of the things I would have said and done. And, yeah, I, th- I hope that's a sign of growth, but... <laughs> Uh, well, I guess we need to see. Yeah, definitely a sign of growth, and we've definitely all all been there, just in different scenarios and one way or another. Yeah, and it's pretty cool. You've you've done loads of coaching in different countries. What have been some of the big takeaways of that global experience? Yeah, well, I think the the big similarities are the, the passion for the game. I think even if rugby is not particularly uh, big or has a particularly big profile in a country the people who are involved in the game have a, a huge passion for it and a huge love and desire to do well so I think that's probably the similarities but um, I think the big difference is you know they, they're kind of I suppose cliches you know so for example coaching in Wales Welsh people are very emotive and, and very passionate and then you can you sort of compare that with Australia where everyone's kind of laid back and you know I, I'd turn up for training like two hours early to set up cones <laughs> and stuff and you'd get boys turn up 20 minutes late just come off the waves and and straight into it and then yeah also coaching in Scandinavia you know they were very efficient and it was about getting the most out of the time you had with the players and and then Malaysia it was that almost completely the opposite they wanted to train long hours uh, train very often um and try and just i guess outwork everyone else was kind of mm. their mindset whereas so so you kind of have to adapt to that as you go and you have to yeah, get your feet on the ground really quickly and work out how these little differences affect how you're going to coach the team yeah that's that's really cool and that comes down to profiling your team as well and doing a bit of due process before taking on roles absolutely yeah i think uh it was it's quite it's quite um difficult at times when you especially when i first sort of went overseas and just kind of thought there was one way to play rugby i was pretty Mm -hmm. naive in that sense and i remember going to scandinavia and i think uh so i was playing as a, a fly half there and i was thinking pretty much but okay these are the plays I'm going to run I'm going to have this kind of center outside me and <laughs> it was all very naive and and turned up and we had about what, maybe you didn't have a center yeah yeah <laughs> so the center was actually converted from last year as a hooker um yeah. and then we had yeah I think 15 players in the squad maybe six of them were prop forwards and mm. um yeah so quickly tore up the the playbook and started again and um but yeah I think these are these are all little things you kind of learn through experiences I suppose and there's a lot of trial and error along the way as well but um I think through 
doing it more often now and gone to quite a few different places I kind of know to expect that as well yeah. so then I'm look the first few weeks I'm just kind of looking out for that yeah uh, that's awesome yeah that's really good advice uh, too what, what about the role with Austria how did that come about how did you end up being over in Europe coaching yeah so it's a pretty bizarre one and I'll try and keep the story short but I was, I was finishing up in Australia uh, just finished the season with Byron Bay and and I'd really enjoyed it but I wanted to be a bit closer to to home in the UK so I was floating my my CV around and people were passing it on sort of throughout clubs in the UK and Europe mm-hmm. and and then one day I just got a, a email I was backpacking and I was up by um, the Great Barrier Reef and I got a uh, email from Rugby Austria from the technical director just saying would I be interested in having an interview and and I was in a youth hostel at the time and it <laughs> it's going to be like, tricky <laughs> yeah it was right next right next to a nightclub so there's you know, people people on the beers all day and <laughs> try to find a quiet spot to uh, yeah good luck you know, to, yeah exactly try to <laughs> find a quiet spot to have this meeting and I just remember as soon as the Skype call went through and his face popped up on the screen. There was just like an announcement on the tannoy. Oh yes, it's ladies night. Get down to the bar. <laughs> I just remember thinking, oh, I've blown this. And and then I went to Uluru and I, this was a few days after then. So I was just in the outback and had no signal. And I was waiting to hear if I'd got the job. And I was like climbing on top of rocks, trying to get signal <laughs> and stuff. So yeah, but it all moved pretty quick after that. And um, yeah, I flew over a few weeks later and, and that was in, I think, the autumn of of 2018. So right. kind of been, yeah, here since. And initially, I was coming over to be the head coach of the men's sevens and the attack coach for the men's fifteens. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of snowballed. But now I take uh, all the sevens programs, so the right. the men, the women, and kind of overlook what's going on with the under 18s as well. Okay, cool. Um, and then, yeah, still working with the the 15s when we eventually get back because obviously mm. through covid we haven't been together as a squad for a long time yeah okay well that's pretty comprehensive and you kind of touch a little bit on what the landscape's like there what what's a bit more detail on the rugby landscape in austria yeah okay so i'll start with the national teams i suppose so mm. we we play in the rugby europe competitions yep. so we currently run a, a men's and women's sevens program um also a men's 15s team mm-hmm. and then we have an under 18s boys and girls sevens team right. um and then domestically uh women sort of exclusively play sevens so there's right. no women's 15s to, domestically and the men have a small 15s competition which i think this year is at six teams in the competition okay. Um, and then they have a seven series where you could have anywhere between five and 12 teams. So you, you tend to get a lot of, um, on the men's side anyway, you tend to get a lot of smaller clubs. Mm-hmm. And they try and, um, I suppose, work together. Sometimes they form like franchises and things so that they can compete. Um, obviously with COVID this year as well, it's make, making things a little bit harder. I think some clubs are uh, reporting that their playing numbers will be down when they're back and, Mm. At the minute, we have like a pretty extensive testing um, concept that you have to follow if you want to be involved with with sport. So I think for some people, that's made it uh, quite a, a serious commitment rather than just, you mm. know, turning up, training, having a beer and, and all that social side of it. Now it's now sort of very um, 
professional, I suppose, would be the word in in terms of how they approach the the training and how they approach games, even for your the lower level clubs. Right, right. Yeah, it's a, it's really interesting, and I always think with especially with sevens, you know, in a country where rugby is not the bread and butter sport, there's got to be some great opportunities to get athletes crossing over from other sports. What, what, what's been your experience there? Who, who have been some of the players who have crossed over from other sports that have yeah, had success? We, we've kind of had, um, I, I mean, not too many high profile or anything like that, but we've had, mm. you know, quite a few soccer players sort of transfer over. We've had uh, a couple of handball players. Yeah, volleyball. right. Volleyball is quite a big sport here. So you get a couple of players from there. Um, but yeah, we—I mean, everyone's into their winter sports here, so mm-hmm. I think everyone's everyone's uh, got some experience in that, or at least most people. Yeah. But we haven't—I suppose—we haven't really had the 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 amount of people it crossing over from from other sports as as maybe we'd like. And I think it's something that we we could probably target a bit more as well mm. forward. Like when we come out of COVID, especially, is I think. COVID will kind of at the grassroots will provide quite a lot of opportunity where, you know, maybe people want to try a different sport. Maybe people are, you know, after so long not doing anything, uh, are going to come into sport having not played sports since maybe school or something. Mm -hmm. So I think we, we have a few opportunities for recruitment coming out of COVID. So I think it will be quite interesting to see if, if we snap up any, you know, good athletes from ever sports. Yeah, when I was writing that question, I was thinking exactly handball because I yeah. know it's a bit of a mega sport, more so up in Scandinavia and I think Germany as well. It's pretty big. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I often use uh, European handball as a, a warm-up game and there's a lot of similarities there with space and mm. some principles of play that you can attach to it. Yeah, sure. And I mean, I mean basketball's the other one as well. We've had mm. one or two guys uh, in the club team. So I'm also working with a club team here at Graz and we've had a couple of uh, basketball players come come over as well and mm. it's really interesting to see you know their appreciation of space and their work rate off the ball mm. these are kind of the things that not everyone would notice unless you're really looking for it I suppose but they're you know that I find that really interesting from from other sports how those core skills I guess translate awesome and so what about rugby Austria in terms of sevens what have been some of the goals that have been set for the the union and what are some of the processes that you're going through to try and achieve them yeah um so i guess i'll answer that in in two parts so i'll, I'll firstly i'll talk about the the women and girls so we have a, a pretty talented squad right now and some promising players coming through mm-hmm. so in terms of of this program we obviously want to be successful on the pitch but we had to ensure that we have sustained success so we're yeah. not just rushing it and trying to be successful this year and then you know get promoted maybe and then get relegated immediately so we mm. want to have sustained success so these players can um, get promoted sure but then they can stay at that level and build to climb the ladder even further so um, and to do that we need to closely align with uh, age grade pathways with the clubs, club coaches to ensure that we've got uh, a growing player pool and and that these players are constantly improving, you know, when they're with their clubs, the better players from there coming into the national team. And then obviously if you've got more players to choose from, then that obviously builds competition. And, and for me, this is the way we can 
uh, grow the women's game. And I think the other thing as well that's worth mentioning is uh, Donal Vienna is uh, the big club in Vienna and, and in women's rugby. I think they they dominate the women's sevens competitions so that's obviously great and most of our players for the national team come from this club so it's Mm -hmm. a good um good breeding ground for our our national team players but ultimately if we want our national team to be um successful we need the domestic competition to be competitive so i think that will be where we spend a lot of time and effort in the coming years is trying to grow the domestic level for women's sevens so that then we probably get um again a, a higher quality product domestically and then the sort of the cream rises to the top then and, yeah. and we take the the better players with the national team and i think through that that then becomes sustainable and and hopefully we can see austria promoting to the the next level of rugby europe competition and then hopefully be a a regular at that level um and with the men it's slightly different uh, in the past i think sevens and fifteens uh have worked kind of separately mm-hmm. and there was not much cooperation between the two potentially mm-hmm. um i mean i can't i wasn't involved but uh, this is just my sort of interpretation i could be wrong um but now between me and david holby so david holby is the men's 15s head coach but he is also my assistant coach for sevens so right. we kind of have a good co- correlation between the two programs because obviously mm-hmm. we're both involved in in both programs so we want to make it so that the two programs complement each other so you'll know yourself that the core skills uh, in rugby 15s are never under the microscope as much as they are in sevens mm-hmm. and so for me i think exposing the 15s players to sevens is only going to sharpen those skills and yeah and help them when they go into the 15s program. And and similarly, I think players that aspire to play in the men's 15s team um, can benefit from being on the sevens team as well. You know, almost, I don't want to say as a stepping stone, but um, I think it's, it's probably uh, a good pathway for them as well. Mm. But that also, also helps the sevens team be successful because then you're getting the, either the most promising players or the best players available to play for the sevens program as well, which I think would be helpful for us. And I think ultimately for rugby Austria to be successful at 15s and the men's side, we need the sevens program to also be successful. So the two kind of go hand in hand for me. Yeah, no, I see a lot of parallels from what you're explaining there in Austria to what happens here in Canada, especially in terms of bringing that domestic competition up and the standards of that improving. I I think a big missing piece for that is coach development and that it's challenging in a country the size of Canada, but still there needs to be more of it. How is Rugby Austria looking at that in terms of upskilling their domestic coaches especially? Yeah, it's been, it's it's a good question because it's something we've been talking about uh, quite a lot recently. Mm. So it's we have mainly got um, the issue, I suppose, that to get qualified, you need a world rugby educator to run the courses, and I yeah. think we only have we only have the one in Austria, so, mm-hmm. so that's quite problematic. But having said that, we do have a lot of qualified coaches. I mean, I can't give you an exact number, but. We have a lot of people who've got the qualification, maybe level one coach, mm. but these people then they're not actively coaching or, or maybe they coach for a year and then they stop and mm. 
So I think maybe where we need to spend time working is how do you upskill the coaches you've got? So maybe you motivate them to to stay in coaching, uh, but also the ones that are staying in coaching, they're then developing, they're improving, and then obviously the sessions and the programs they're delivering are improving as a as a result of that, I suppose. Mm, yeah, it's a it's a tricky challenge, especially with the certification. I think a lot of coaches will just want that certification and tick it off, and that's yeah, that's exactly that's yeah, one that's, and done. Yeah. And yeah. it's changing yeah. that mindset that it's it's going yeah. to be an ongoing process. I think I think that's it because that that's kind of the I was I was speaking about this in a meeting the other day. I think that is kind of the mindset, and I I can relate to it as well because I mm. I kind of would get level one and then I was like, well, yeah, I'm level one for a bit. And then I got to level two and level three and it kind of like snowballed. But for a while you're always pretty happy, but you've done that course and then mm. you're released and you don't want to do another course. Yeah. Uh, so I think what we maybe need to try and get away from is the, the idea that certification is mm. the, the big thing. It's more uh, acquiring the knowledge and, yeah. and developing and improving yourself and i think this is important for coaches to to want to improve yourself because ultimately you the better your players get the better coaching they need you know so i think you need to be constantly challenging yourself as a coach and i think that's where we probably need to have a little bit of a conversation in austria how do we help with that so is that national team coaches running clinics or um you know getting all the premiership coaches together for sort of best practice and talking about ideas you know mm. but but there needs to be something i feel just to help the coaches that want to develop and want to improve to to yeah have that opportunity so that they can be as good as they can possibly be and then hopefully that translates then to players improving and players getting you know a better level of coaching and mm. and the level growing that way as well yeah, and at the end of the day, a rising tide lifts all boats. And uh, yep. if you're if you're coaching well, your your athletes are going to be in a better learning environment. You touched a little bit earlier on how you started as a coach and what those uh, experiences were, and some of the things that you did right or wrong. What, yeah. what about now? How how would you describe yourself as a coach now? What are some of the things that you do on a daily basis that would make it that way? Yeah, well, I think that. The big thing that most people would would say about me, if you ask them, I think, is that I'm very competitive, mm-hmm. and and sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes <laughs> it's uh, taken over a little bit. And so I think that's something where, for me, it's a constant um, a constant sort of battle because, to a certain extent, if that's part of your personality, I think you just have to own it and say, yeah, I am this. Mm-hmm ultra competitive guy and and that can't change but then at the other point i think it can be counterproductive so sometimes i try to keep that in check a little bit but Mm. i i think aside from that um yeah i like to have fun mate at the end of the day we're playing a game so um i try to make it as fun as possible and i also think that the more fun i have the the better i actually coach so Mm. i try and do things that you know, keep me um, enjoying it and, and motivated myself. And then that allows me, I think, to to better motivate the players. And I got a, a good bit of advice once from a coach who said, uh, if you were a player, would you like to be coached by you? Yeah. And I think this is a, a good question to ask yourself. And I think when I look back at, you know, to the early days and stuff mm. like when I was 
coaching for the first time, it was all about winning and the sessions yeah. probably weren't that enjoyable. It was all sort of mapping our way to how we were going to win basically. Yeah. And, and yeah, some people enjoy that, but some people don't. And I think my sessions now, I would say are a bit more balanced, you know, there'd be hopefully something for everyone. And so whether you've got that, that club player who, you know, is there for the social aspect and wants to run around for a bit and then have a beer, you know, we, we're playing games and it's enjoyable and we, you know, we're laughing and joking, but then that player who potentially is motivated to, you know, move on and get in the national teams, maybe mm. you need that little bit more detail and you need to be putting a session that's challenging for him as well. So that's kind of the challenge I find working with the club team here is mm. to strike that balance. But I think that ultimately, even if I was to take the next step up and say I was working in a full-time professional team, I would still try and maintain that balance, I think, because yeah. you've got to have that fun. And if you can keep that fun element and remember that you are playing a game and uh, then I think that everyone's having a better time and, and I think if people are enjoying it and they want to come to training and they want to be a part of it, then ultimately that's going to lift the level, you know, and I think that's a big part of it, something I've really looked at. Yeah, I think that's really important. Like As you go up the levels, the fun shouldn't stop. The rugby landscape's littered with players and coaches who actually don't really enjoy what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and the higher you go up in the levels, the more common that, that seems to be. And it should be the funnest couple of hours of your day practice. It shouldn't yeah, be something exactly. that you drag yourself to. And you, you shouldn't have some someone, you know, you talk about would you like to be coached by yourself? In, in my first year of coaching, I definitely would have quit if mm. I was a player. Hopefully now, though, I'd, I'd stick around. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it's, it's so important, those human skills mm. are the most important part of coaching, not the technical, tactical skills. And I think that's the, the thing I've noticed that the higher up uh, the levels I go, you actually end up doing a lot less technical coaching. Mm. Like I think it, you do, of course, you are, you know, delivering sessions and you are talking and, and giving advice and feedback. But I actually find that the higher the level, the more those relationships are and the questions you ask people. Mm. So having a conversation, not just about rugby, but showing people you're actually interested in them as, as people, but then also showing them that you value their opinion on the rugby as well. So, mm. you know, for example, talking to uh, maybe it's the scrum half at, at my club or something and saying, you know, what do you think of this uh, pattern we're going to run or, or what do you think of our defensive system in this scenario? And, and this player then I think is, yeah, it's it's not so much what we're doing on the drill. It's just from mm. having this conversation. This player is thinking and and hopefully learning and and we and also I'm learning from that because I'm getting sort of an idea of what this player's uh, thinking is and how this player sees the game and how that's going to come into our team. You know, and I think that's the the part of coaching where I've really tried to improve over the last few years because I didn't mm. I did in the early days, like I say, think. Yeah, we we make a training session around the tactics and we deliver the tactics and I'll shout a little bit and everyone will be motivated and we'll go home and we win the championship. It, it yeah. doesn't work like that. Yeah. So um so yeah, I think that's probably the big learning and and hopefully if if people were were talking about me as a coach now, they would say it's someone who puts a lot of time and effort in the relationships, hopefully mm. knows his his technical stuff as well, but but tries to challenge the players and 
make the players um, comfortable being uncomfortable is the phrase we use quite a lot. So mm. if we if we're comfortable doing the things that make us uncomfortable in a game, we're going to be used to those pressure situations and mm. better able to execute. And I think a lot of people can do that in chat in fun ways. You know, you can yeah. you can structure a session around that and make it enjoyable. And I think that's probably the the area I've really tried to focus on in the last two years as well. Cool. All right. Well, final question before we, we wrap things up. You've got a, a lot of plates spinning at the moment with uh, your role with sevens head coach, 15s assistant coach, and your role with your club as well. That's a lot of coaching. That's a lot of mental bandwidth being given up to the sport. When you do get that chance to to switch off and decompress and relax, how, how do you manage that time? Yeah, well, I think, like I said, it's uh, I'm I'm very competitive, so uh, it's it's usually around <laughs> other sports. To be fair, so I like to like to play a bit of basketball and like to follow other sports. Uh, me and my brother are big NBA fans at the minute, so we've been following that pretty closely. Um, but yeah, I'm, I think the the big thing through COVID as well was just trying to improve as a person. And I know when people talk of things like that, some people think it's a little bit corny or, or <laughs> a bit fluffy, but yeah, yeah, a little bit, but I think it's, uh, it's something I really try to focus on and, and cool. sort of improve some gaps in my knowledge potentially. And also just in the way I, yeah, sort of enjoy that downtime because again, that's something where I would constantly 24 hours a day be thinking about coaching Mm. Uh, so I think that's something I've really tried to to separate you know and and I guess compartmentalize different aspects of my life so this is my time with family this is my time with friends this is this is rugby and then and I think when I'm able to do that I'm better able to put 100% into into that so yeah I think that's been the big thing I've tried to focus on through the pandemic is is yeah setting time aside for for things other than rugby and and try to enjoy them for what they are yeah no it's important especially when you talk about sustainability and and staying in the game for as long as possible as a coach Uh, you got to tap out every now and then and uh, recharge awesome well we always end the show with the same final four questions when you were a kid growing up who was one of the players that first drew, drew your attention to the game and helped in your journey in falling in love with the sport yeah, I, well, I think I mentioned it at the at the top of the program. For me, it was it was Shane Williams. So I remember be, we used to live on a, a bit of a farm and we had a garden and all the kids sort of around the area would come and we'd just play rugby. And mm. I think it was the year awesome. Wales won the Grand Slam in 2005. And everyone would say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm Shane Williams, I'm Dwayne Peel. Um, you know, so I would always, <laughs> I would always shotgun to be Shane Williams and, mm. Yeah, he was a bit of a, a bit of an idol growing up for sure. Yeah, total legend, and uh, he's actually in my top three live rugby moments. I was at a Millennium Stadium when they played the Wallabies when ah. he scored his try on his final Test match, and uh, oh, it was yeah. awesome. It was such a great experience. Like it was right on full time almost, and yeah. uh, he just did what he did, weaved his way through, and uh, yeah. yeah, it was such a really, it was a really special moment. Yeah, there wasn't a dry eye in my house that day, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. I was also there the year year after where Kurtley Beal scored in the dying minutes too. So Yeah, let's not talk about that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what about now? Who are some of the players going around that you like what they're doing? 
Yeah, I think uh, for, for similar reasons probably, but I think Cheslin Colby is yeah. a player I just love watching. And, Amazing. you know, and I, and I think, yeah, I mean, Dupont is just magic to watch as well, isn't Brilliant. he? Antoine Dupont. Yeah. So I think these are the two players, they're just getting you out of your seat to watch a game. And I think this is, especially, you know, talking about growing rugby's profile and things, these are the type of players that sport needs. And I think, mm. uh, yeah, they, they throw up some magic moments, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, and Dupont, uh, he's just going to take scrum half play to a ridiculous level yeah, now. So yeah, I yeah. Think so. And what about coaches? What about high profile coaches? Who are some of the ones that you look up to and respect what they're doing? Yeah, I mean, I I've got to give a, a shout out to Gareth Williams. So he's the Welsh under twenties coach at the minute. Nice. Um, so he actually coached me when I was fifteen in the in the county setup in Wales and. I think he's just a great guy and someone who's who's doing a lot of good things. And um, I'd also say Pat Lamb, uh, Bristol. Yeah. I think he's. Yeah, I just really like his. You know, when you hear him speak about the game and his philosophy around the game, and I think he he just has so many great ideas. So I think he's. Mm. Pro- I, I would say he's probably one of the the best coaches in in Europe at the minute. And mm. I, I don't think it will be too long before Bristol start winning things under him. Yeah, yeah, I agree. What about locally? Final question. Who's someone in the grassroots in your community that's doing good work and deserves some recognition? Yeah, so I'll I'll go back home to Wales for that one. So we have a, a guy called Di Jones and he's the, the local pub landlord. So hopefully he, he shouts <laughs> me a beer after when I get back eventually. <laughs> but um yeah, through lockdown he was he was doing a lot of like one-to-one sessions and he, he started up his sort of social media profile dp free coaching mm-hmm. and um and yeah i think he's doing a lot of good work and a lot of local people player even non-rugby players you know having good one-to-one coaching from him and and session plans and ideas so yeah i think he's doing a great job awesome oh, that's a good way to wrap things up and i want to thank you for your time it was a great chat got a little bit nostalgic there about living in austria it's an awesome country i'd love to go back there with the kids one day and show them show them around so all the best with the coaching i'm stoked to hear that things are loosening up there and hopefully you'll be back on the field soon with the players and thanks again no oh, great thank you very much for having me i appreciate it cool no worries cheers cheers for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.